Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Trading Conversations and I'm your host Philip Thiel. You are here my friend because you believe that profitable trading is one of the most efficient ways to attain financial freedom and can be achieved as long as you are willing to put in the hard work to develop your trading competency. Our goal with this show is to introduce you to the traders who have dug through the trenches and emerged at the other end. From the sharing of their trading stories, strategies, workflow and best practices, I hope to help you shorten your learning curve as you embark on your journey towards trading mastery. The upcoming interview you will be listening to is part of the online trading summit that we organized and hosted previously. Possibly Asia's first virtual trading conference, I invited more than 32 global trading experts to share their trading knowledge with more than 25,000 traders from around the world. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome back to Online Trading Summit. In this upcoming interview, I'll be chatting with Jerry Parker, the founder of Chesapeake Capital, a global investment manager that grew to become one of the largest CTAs in the United States at its peak AUM of $2.5 billion. Jerry is actually more famous for his career's earlier days when he was accepted into the Turtle Program in 1983, a select investment training program developed by legendary trader Richard Dennis. While chatting with Jerry, we discuss about his journey as a trend follower through the years and why he firmly believes that trend following is still vastly more superior compared to other strategies through the test of time. I'm sure you can't wait to hear Jerry's insights, so let's head in to listen to the interview right now. Hi Jerry, uh, uh, welcome to the uh, Online Trading Summit. How are you feeling today, man? Great. Good morning, good evening. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's evening over here and uh, morning over there for you. Uh, I'm so thankful that uh, you've decided to join this uh, online trading summit. And, uh, and I think I believe that uh, whatever that you've got to share with the summit participants during our interview is going to be really, really helpful for them. Uh, but before we start, I think it's uh, rather important that um, the, the participants who are mainly based in the Asia-Pacific region have a better understanding about your background because um, you were part of a very legendary story and narrative in the world of trading. And uh, would you mind just having a quick share uh, with the summit participants about what was the, the defin defining moment that helped you uh, become such a famous character in the world of trading? How did it all started? Well, it definitely all started by um, getting the opportunity to work with Richard Dennis in Chicago in 1983. Uh, so I was living in Richmond, Virginia, and I was uh, working in the accounting industry and accounting profession and uh, answered an ad in the Wall Street Journal. And Richard Dennis um, wanted to hire traders and teach them how to uh, hire people and teach them how to trade and become traders and uh, you know uh, currencies commodities uh, stocks and interest rates and we I got the job and went to Chicago and uh, went through a, a two or three week training course and then in January of 1984 uh, we were let go and started trading and Rich gave us a million dollars of his own money and we started trading that money. And uh, the only requirement at that time was to follow the rules because it was a rules-based systematic, um, you know, trend program and um, trading lots of markets and lots of diversification, long, longs and shorts was, um, was part of my early training. I see. And um, so 
it is actually pretty common um, for like new traders to be taken under the arms of um, a very powerful, a very powerful or very profitable traders to learn, and uh, subsequently become apprentice and um, graduate and start to run a fund of their own subsequently. But what do you think were the key elements uh, about your your turtle trading days that made this entire episode, this story, such a powerful story and narrative in the world of trading? Well, I think it had to do with uh, Richard Dennis and Bill Eckhart being incredibly smart people, a very genius, um, knowing a lot about trading as it relates to uh, actual trading on the floor, and then being able to understand um, the necessary math and computer um, ideas in order to create rules and backtest them. And um, so putting it all together, it's like building a, a big house a lot of different components. Okay, so it's mostly trend, it's a lot of diversification, but there's a lot of nuances and specifics that matter. Um, and so I think just working with those guys and um, how smart they were, and then their focus was on, you know, rules that we would use on a daily basis, but also philosophy that would last a lifetime. What are some of the things that you must always, uh, using the markets and how should you look at the markets. And so it wasn't just being given a set of rules and parameters that would work uh, for four or five years. It was teaching us uh, the basics and the philosophies of proper trading. I see. And I suppose that um, them being very legendary trader itself was one of the main reason that made the turtle experiment such a big story, right? Is that, is that the case? Oh yeah. And these guys were bigger than life and they were, uh, you know, our whole goal there was to um, not, uh, you know, blow the situation, to uh, to make them happy and to uh, make this a success and do what they wanted us to do. So we were very dedicated and loyal. And they were just great people to work with and work for. And um, we had great training and a great mentor. Uh, but it was sink or swim. It was, here's your money. You know the rules. You really shouldn't need any more help. Um, and, you know, it was up and down. And then I think finally after a year or two, people started to get it and were pretty successful. And some didn't make it and weren't successful. But even when somebody gives you the rules and tells you exactly what to do and gives you the money to manage, it's still possible to um, not succeed. But the vast majority of people were doing really well. I see. And uh, so there's, there's this very one interesting thought that I had because when I um, invited you to participate in this summit, I was actually not feeling optimistic about you agreeing uh, to having a conversation. Um, and it, it appears that many very successful like fund managers or even CTAs uh, are pretty elusive about giving interviews or to share, even share their thoughts uh, openly. Uh, but yet, you, I, I find that you very often, you, you speak in podcasts, you are very willing to accept interviews. So what actually motivates you to do this compared to, to those other very successful fund managers around? Well, I think uh, one of the things that um, inspired me and I learned a lot from over the years is uh, interviews of other traders. And I think you're right. Other traders, um, you can learn a lot and the books, Market Wizards, the two Market Wizards books, where there's lots of good information and great interviews of famous traders. So it's not that rare uh, for people to get out there and sort of uh, talk about their philosophy and how they think of things. And it's, you know, selfishly, maybe people will see it and like it and understand it, invest in my fund. Uh, 
but it is uh, so many different opinions out there on what works in the markets and how to trade the markets, what's the best. So it's, um, even if I get out there and say something really profound and something that uh, I think is really important, the vast majority of people will disagree <laughs> because they have their own opinions. And that's kind of the nature of traders is, um, you know, um, learn a little bit from someone else, but turn it around where it um, sort of jives with your own philosophy and your way of looking at up the markets and then build this over time, which is what I've done. I've uh, taken some ideas from others and I've ignored some ideas from others and I probably haven't um, always been right about which one I adopted and which ones I ignored. I see. And so is it like a form of trying to give back whatever that you have received previously in terms of all the mentorship that, that you have given before? Well, uh, maybe for uh, people that I meet personally, friends that I meet, young traders that I'm friends with, that's more giving back to on a case-by-case basis to somebody who I think is um, worthy and, and, and is willing to receive um, you know, good information. But doing something like this is just, uh, you know, it's just trying to... Um, be a nice person and uh, you know, uh, it's a little selfish too because everyone likes to talk about what they really believe in and what they're passionate about. And so I would say it's not all giving. It's a, for me, it's kind of fun. I and see uh, I learned something from uh, you and people who interview me. So it's, it, it works. Nice, it works nice. A lot of different ways. All right, so uh, I just want to go back uh, a little bit to your, your turtle, turtle days, right? So it has been almost like almost um, 35 years. Uh, since then, um, since you learn and apply what you uh, and apply what you you you, you studied during the uh, the turtle days itself, so what do you think actually has changed since the past thirty five years? What has changed? Uh, what and what has not changed since uh, those days compared to to now? Well, it's been some good changes and uh, bad changes from my perspective. Um, certainly, some of the good changes are more markets to trade. Uh, the futures markets have expanded, more commodities, more currencies, more interest rates. Um, we uh, started trading single stocks instead of trading indices, index futures, uh, many years ago. So I think that is another great source of diversification, uh, making that choice to trade a basket of diversified liquid single stocks, long and short, uh, rather than just trading the indexes. They're pretty poor vehicles for trend following and trading in general. So I think that has changed. Uh, fees have come down. That's good for the investors. Uh, volatility has come down. Cost of the funds have come down. But I think the negatives would be um, some of the things that haven't changed, I believe, is we still have nice trends, but they're sort of more choppy and more volatile. And that requires us to trade longer term. And so trading longer term still allows you to profit from the trends, but the volatility and the drawdowns can be a little bit larger than when it was, um, we were more able to trade shorter term. I see, I see. And uh, I've actually uh, listened to a number of your interviews before. And uh, well, there is this common saying that uh, it is important to find a strategy uh, that fits uh, your personality. 
And yet, in, in, in many of your interviews, you actually mentioned that you think that adhering to your personality might actually be bad. You should actually just focus on a set of rules. So, uh, are you still, do you still believe very strongly in that? I do. I mean, I just think it's kind of quite not right. You know, people say these cliches and everybody agrees and they just move on. I think it's not quite right um, to try to find a way that suits your personality. So you want to try to find a way that makes money and that is not too risky and volatile mm. and a way that you can, that's appealing to clients so you can build a business. And you want it to be your own personality. I kind of doubt it. Is that the way the world works? You know, um, I like to make 1% a month every month. And I don't think that that fits my personality making, uh, but I don't think that's possible. I can't do that. So um, I'm very willing to sort of analyze the markets and figure out, try to figure out what works in the markets and make it as good as possible and then trade it, even though it may cause me to have anxiety because of losses and drawdowns and volatility and client complaints um, and trend following. I think it works very well because it is very frustrating and it is sort of counterintuitive to the way that we would all like to make money. And so I think that you actually probably are safer to find a way that doesn't fit your personality or anybody else's personality. And it would be very hard to implement because it's a little frustrating. And um, you know, our, our methodology, the trend following, it uh, has 40% running trades and, it, um, and that's very frustrating. It makes money in, um, sort of in a concentrated time period, not spread out over evenly over 12 months. So it has many uh, negative characteristics, but it makes money. So I think that's probably the better route to take, hmm. find something that um, underperforms a lot, and then all of a sudden does really well. Yeah, and uh, so, well, but at the same time, there are like many other different kind of very successful CTAs or even like hedge fund managers adopting other kind of strategies. Um, so what would be your uh, answer if they, if, if they say that, okay, because I use this strategy because it's more suited to my personality and well, it makes money as well. So uh, what, what was your, what's your take on that? And maybe would, would you ever ever thought about that? Uh, maybe because what you learned during the turtle days, the strategy itself, the rule-based systematic uh, uh, thing happens to be something that really fits your personality. That's why it works really well for you and maybe not for other people who could find some other better ways of making money from the market. I mean, I think I agree with that. Uh, so I do believe that, um, once again, people should focus on something that they're good at and that it suits their talents. Um, it's probably a better way of going about it than it suits their personality. But also, if you, if it, Someone who, I, I agree that I really do like rules and uh, objectivity and diversification and more of a price technical way of looking at the markets that does uh, suit me better. But I do think that even if it doesn't suit your personality, you would still be successful if you follow the rules. So if you can find something else that you're successful at and you like it more, then great. Um, so it's a little bit of truth in all of these things. I just don't think it's a 
it's a hundred percent true that one should seek out um, a strategy that makes money and uh, suits my personality as it relates to the characteristics of the trading, I guess, more than anything else. Trading should be difficult and hard and frustrating and uh, counterintuitive to human um, uh, desires. And maybe that can, that's, those characteristics can fit into multiple different uh, types of strategies, uh, fundamental value and trend following. So, I see, I see. Yeah. And uh, well, from those stories that we have heard about you since your starting days in, in the turtle trading, uh, it seems like things seem to just fall into place for you. I mean, you, you managed to get into the program and you became one of the most successful turtle trader and you raised the fund and you go on to grow it until very big. So were there any occasions in your more than 30 years of trading career, were there any occasions that uh, things really was very bad for you and what kind of uh, 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 bad e events or, or things that has, has been, happened to you in your career before and how do you overcome it? Uh, very good question. Um, well, I remember asking Richard Dennis in 1983, what are the two biggest mistakes that we're going to make? You know, what, what are the biggest mistakes? And... Um, well, he said the biggest mistake would be uh, getting uh, taking a loss on the trade, and then when the trade, um, when the market went right back up to the highs, not getting back in. So that's yeah, that's that's uh, sort of um, you know human nature. When you lose, you know you're kind of uh, maybe don't want to do the next trade. But I think uh, the two things he said that stood out that has definitely been true in my life when I've my trading life when I have had bad periods and I wasn't feeling good about my trading. Number one was trading too large. Uh, you can take too much risk and uh, the losses and the volatility can be too much. So you need to have a initial choice of risk and leverage. Um, it needs to be right and right for you so you can sleep at night. So maybe you try to make 10% versus uh, 50% and uh, the drawdowns and the volatility will have a material impact on you and your clients. And then the second thing is I've had, I've run into trouble personally when I have not followed my system and not done all the trades that my system and the rules would dictate, which those two are sort of uh, related sometimes when, when you're trading too large and you're losing money, it's difficult to follow the rules. Uh, you can't keep following the rules because maybe you'll, bypass some trades that you're guessing won't work or you're not, you're getting out of trades too quickly before the rules would dictate. So I think those are two of the major ideas. Um, of course, having a good system, using lots of diversification um, is important, but trading too large and being too risky and not following your system, those are the two kind of most important things that I would uh, tell young traders you know, you're going to really concentrate on those things. All right. So right now, uh, in the in the in the fund uh, that you're managing right now, um, has it been in evolved to a stage where your entire um, trading system is fully optimized all the way to execution? And if that's the case, then one shouldn't will shouldn't have to get into a situation where they feel to execute or they, they hold back from executing, right? Is, is, that, is your system right now fully optimized already? 
Yes, and so that we don't really have that problem anymore. So that's another great uh, thing to do is create a process where you are ensuring that you're going to do all those trades and stay disciplined and follow the rules and try to have everything built into your system, especially um, what I would say is another very important rule is that um, when you get to a place where you feel like you're losing more money or you have more volatility than you're happy with, have a rule that allows you to reduce your leverage, reduce your positions, reduce the future trades for a while until you um, start making money and the volatility kind of comes back to a more reasonable level. And uh, this sort of simple rule will allow you to do the trades and follow the system at the same time you've reduced risk. I see. And if, if everything has been uh, optimized already, were there any occasions that you have to manually like stop the system or to uh, do something about the system and stop it from just being optimized? Was, was it like some kind of events or did it ever, ever, ever have happened before? Or you just simply let the, 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 the system keep running itself and you just maybe focus on changing some parameters here and there whenever required to? Yeah, I think that's that. I just change some parameters here or there. Um, live through the markets and some of the trades and look at the trades. And I like to go through the trades, you know, the big trades and see how we handle them. Do we, do we uh, participate in the big trend? Did we give back a lot of profit or did we, how do the systems in general uh, handle all the different um, crazy markets that in trends that we run into? So we have over the years uh, looked at some of the trades and not been happy with how maybe thinking we could do better and then going back and doing some analysis and back testing and adding in some different components and different parameters um, <clears throat> to <clears throat> help out on some of the ways we see the markets changing. And uh, another thing that we're really big into is multiple entries and multiple exits. So have systems that are maybe correlated, they're all long-term trend following or medium-term trend following, but they also enter at different uh, places and then exit at different places. So you're um, having a diversified, um, you're handling the trades in, in, in multiple different ways. You know, you could have a crash and you'll get out of some and it could keep going and you got to get out of the rest. Or if you have a crash in a market, you could get out of some and then it goes back to the highs again. So all of the systems we trade, they make about the same amount of money, but they have they handle the markets differently, and each individual trade will be could have a different, uh, materially different uh, profit and loss. I see. And uh, so, like, how many kind of instruments are you actually trading right now? And I understand that you were you were constantly emphasizing the importance of diversifications. Um, so, do you think there is uh, such a case of uh, being over diversification itself? And do you think there's any downside to, to overly being diversified in terms of the number of instruments and the markets that you trade in? Not from uh, the not the way we trade. It's not possible. Now you can mishandle the diversification by trading um, too many energies or too many commodities, and so what we want to do is create a portfolio and have the weightings um, to where we take into consideration diverse uh, correlations and diversification and liquidity. So we trade in a lot of commodities, a lot of stocks, different stocks, different commodities. And um, 
a few currencies and fewer bonds because the bonds seem to be more correlated, let's say. So if you trade mostly bonds and they're really correlated, then you're kind of mishandling the diversification. But I don't think that if you can be overly diversified because in a trend following way, in a trend following world view, I would say that all of the trend following trades have the same expected return. It doesn't matter which market it's in. So it just pays to diversify in real, real, real diversification with um, a, um, a portfolio that is not uh, overweighted in any sector or group and um, keep adding markets, keep adding diversification and, and you'll make the same amount of money with uh, adding these different markets. It'll just be less volatility. I see. And so I, that's, a, I... that's a very big uh, statement there that uh, all the markets have the same expectation. Every single one, currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, not a lot of people uh, would, would think that's, would agree with that or understand that maybe, or, but it is definitely true for trend following. And that's why we, it's such a great investment. And that's why we've spent a lot, uh, you know, 30 years just trying to find more markets, stocks, more commodities, interest rates, currencies, and um, it's just become better and better um, and we've had to do that to offset some of the choppiness in the markets and the volatility because of uh, so many other people, so many people trend follow now and use computers that it, it's, it's harder now. So uh, would like, for example, cryptocurrency be one of the kind of uh, instruments or asset classes to actually diversify as well, in your opinion? In my opinion, yes. Of course, if it meets those two criteria, which is liquidity and um, diversification. So we trade 100 markets and 50 stocks, <clears throat> and <clears throat> it'd be great to add a couple of cryptocurrencies. And now it has to be a safe market, kind of a legitimate market. Maybe that's an issue these days. How safe is it? How legitimate is it? But it's kind of funny to notice that um, as soon as the Board of Trade and the CME created futures contracts on Bitcoin, it started behaving and becoming a much more reasonable market and the volatility started to go away. And the craziness, some of the craziness was taken out when um, the futures exchanges created a contract. I see. And um, okay, just a bit about trying to understand uh, um, the kind of uh, emotions you go through. Uh, between you and being in the turtle program versus you uh, running your own fund because I understand that the transition was actually within a very short period of time uh, from being in a program you got out of the program and you started to launch your fund and trade, trade your clients money from there so do you personally feel a very huge difference in terms of expectations and in terms of emotion and psychology uh, that affects you during this transition between a very two different kind of uh, way of trading there's definitely a, a transition period. Um, we were taught how to trade, had to follow the rules, uh, the, and, by, and then that, that person gave us the money to manage. So it was a very good environment. There was no complaining from clients. He taught us how to do everything. So we just had to follow the rules and use a little bit of creativity and flair. Um, and at that point in time, 
the, the leverage was very high. So we were making 100% a year, 200% a year. So when I started Chesapeake in February of 1988, I kind of figured out I should, probably should not try to make 200% a year and uh, <laughs> to attract clients and, um, it, you know, and clients who didn't really uh, understand necessarily what I was doing as much as uh, Richard Dennis, then I had to transition from to maybe making 20%, you know, trying that. And even trying to make 20%, uh, the volatility was fairly high. But over the years, you know, I, we just came to appreciate what a great, uh, uh, almost a pretend environment we had when uh, we had a client, our only client knew more about trading than we did. And then we start our business and raise money and get clients. And then they're complaining a lot. They don't like the way we trade. They like that we're making money, but they don't understand the trading. They don't understand the rules or the, how important it is to follow the rules, even if um, the performance is not what they want it to be. And so um, that was a much better environment for your mental health and lack of anxiety to um, have a client who knew a lot about trading and was really patient and saw the value in do the right thing, do the hard thing. Uh, trading is going to be difficult. Just follow the rules. And I don't care about the profit. I mean, eventually I'm going to care, but what I care on a daily basis, are you following your rules? Whereas the typical client doesn't know anything about trading is criticizing me and trying to give me advice and it's complaining. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like going into your doctor and uh who's a world-renowned surgeon who's going to save your life yeah and complain to him because he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> i see so were there on any occasions that you were so frustrated with your client that you decide to just drop and drop them out as being your client just say oh, i'm sorry i don't want to manage your money anymore I don't remember ever doing that. I remember thinking that that's a good idea. Um, but when you get to a situation like that, it's, it won't last very long. So I probably just put it off until he or she decided to leave. But I have gotten um, agitated with clients who redeemed their money. And I have said to them, yeah, you don't really know anything about trading or investing. So I really, you know, I just get frustrated. Um, but I've had a couple of amazingly great clients who were very similar to Richard Dennis in their demeanor and in them having confidence in me and allowing me to, uh, and, and supporting me. You know, you, it's really uh, great that your clients support you. And I've had clients uh, talk to me about bad performance and, and bad periods of performance and there are a couple of times they've said, I don't care about any of that. I just want to make sure that you're still doing your trading. You're still following your rules, still following your systems. And that's very nice to hear. And it's very rare. I see. So if let's say, assume that one fine day you decided to stop managing other people's money and just manage your own money or family office, would you go back to this, the, those days of having higher leverage and having bigger drawdowns in order to shoot for the moons um, um, that more often in terms no. of the returns? <laughs> no, I, I would not. I, I honestly, <clears throat> I trade my client's money the way I 
want to, and it's based upon trading my money alongside of theirs. So I do exactly what I want to do without regard to um, the clients. So I have the leverage I want, the markets I want, the strategy, the systems, um, everything is done with me in mind and maximizing my wealth. And uh, because I firmly believe, you know, that that's, I'm, I'm doing the best that I possibly can do for myself and for my clients. And there is no, I wouldn't do anything any different uh, if I didn't have clients. Okay. You know, I, I very often when I look at very successful um, uh, fund managers like yourself, I, and I, I realize that many of the best managers actually manages money for those or people who are already very rich. So I was very often wondering, um, do you think this is a potential scenario where um, those average people having more le less less money are not able to assess really good fund managers or traders while the rich people can assess to people like yourself and become even richer? Do you think this is one of the potential reasons why it actually widens the, the gap between the rich and the poor? Uh, no, I don't think that that's probably it. <clears throat> I think that um, <clears throat> the regulations and rules that uh, hedge fund managers have to... Um, uh, live under uh, makes them not want to um, trade for the uh, lower net worth people or have a business and want to shut down and just trade their friends and family. Um, and I don't think that um, the more educated or wealthier, or <laughs> I don't think they're any smarter than others as far as choosing managers. Um, I think that my experience has been sort of the opposite. Really? Um, yeah. I think that when I explain what I do, like I've done today with you and, I, and as I'll do in the future, um, diversification, risk control, trend following, um, it makes more sense to a mutual fund investor than sometimes it does to a um, institutional investor um, who wants something very complicated and very uh, magical. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed, with a rare occasion, I have had some very big institutional clients, uh, but I think um, most of the time I, I've sort of fit in better with the sort of retail mutual fund client, which, you know, we have our mutual fund now. So that's pretty much um, our biggest uh, client, the mutual fund. So I'm sort of found my, a niche for me that works out better for me than uh, managing for institutions. I see. So if let's say hypothetically, if you have a chance to like manage um, uh, for money for let's say 1 million uh, average folks with $100 each uh, versus 100 folks with um, $1 million each, which one will you actually choose and why? Oh, will you say the question again? If let's say, uh, if given the opportunity, assuming that there's no regulations issues or whatever, uh, you can manage uh, $100 from 1 million average um, low net worth people versus uh, managing money for 100 people with $1 million each. Which one would you choose and why? Well, I would choose the one that gave me the most amount of clients. I think that would sort of just diversify my business more and I be see. less subject to people. You know, um, my assets under management fluctuating, let's say, <clears throat> um, 
and the hundred dollar clients probably would understand me better <laughs> and be more appreciative. And uh, I don't know, it's hard to say, um, but I like the mutual fund business with lots of clients. I like it better. It's, 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 um, well, it fits in better with, with how we manage money. I see. I see. So I, I want to go um, forward a bit in terms of the future of trading. So in recent years, it has, it seems like there's a, a strong emergence and investments into things like um, robo investing as well as like things like copy trading. So what's your personal take on that? Do you think that could potentially become a new business model in, in the form of um, farm management or trading in the new era? Well, I mean, I think the, this is just uh, people <clears throat> in different ways and in different <clears throat> um, parts of the business recognizing the benefits of systematic rule-based um, doing anything with rules and a process and a, and a computer and algorithms. So I think uh, that is good, regardless of uh, what you're doing, you should try to do as much with a computer and algorithms and rules as possible. I think uh, the reason the S&P 500 is so successful as an investment is because it's rule-based. Um, so I don't think it's great rules, but I think it just, if you, you know, it just shows that it's hard to beat the S&P 500 because most of the people trying to beat it probably don't follow rules. And I do think that the, you know, as time goes on, people will be more, um, willing to allow their man, their invest investing, their managers to use rules. Um, you've probably heard of this thing called algo, um, algo I, trading. I, yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I lost my train of thought, but mm. I think that people do hold, um, people do sort of prefer to have a real live manager, um, managing their money versus the computer. They hold the computer to a higher standard. But I think over time that'll that'll change as well when people sort of understand through different cycles that uh, following rules and having a computer um, do the trades for you is a better idea. I see. And how about from the perspective of machine learning? It seems like, like machine learning is now even able to win uh, chess competition against the world's best players. So do you think it could come a time where machine learning could in fact trade better than humans and, and it could take over the entire fund management industry as a result? And actually, are you all in the process of looking at using machine learning to help, help you guys try to achieve better returns as well? No, I'm not a fan of machine learning. Uh, when it comes to the markets, I don't think uh, machine learning can do better than trend following. Okay. Um, mm. Yes. So I, almost anything can do better than humans <clears throat> who don't follow, <clears throat> who don't follow rules, but it's really a question of can more and more data and more and more crunching of data, can it produce better results than following the price of the markets that I kind of doubt. Um, maybe if this machine learning included some trend. <laughs> so I think if machine learning needs to borrow trend and some trend following ideas for it to be better than uh, what we do now, uh, it's, it's all a question of sometimes in the world of trading, it's humans and human emotions and what people are going to do, which is very unpredictable and not similar to chess and backgammon and games with fixed rules. 
humans and the markets don't have fixed rules. So I welcome the future to see if I'm right and see how we stack up to um, AI. I see, I see. You know, in 2014, there was this book that was published. It, it was called The Access Returns, A Comparative Study of the Methods of the World's uh, Greatest Investors. Have you actually taken a look at that book? No, uh, send me the link on Amazon. I, I, need to, I need to get that. I see. Because one really interesting thing that was included inside the book was a chart of the audited returns of uh, uh, most of the best investors, fund managers. Your name was inside as well. Um, it, it said that uh, Warren Buffett had a 23% per annum, uh, annum compounded return, while you had about 22%. Uh, and at the same time, those at the top of the pack um, include um, very legendary traders like Ed Sakoda, Richard Dennis, William Eckhart, and even Bruce Kovner with returns of more than 60%. So I was just wondering if you could shed some light or your, your opinion. What do you think were the key elements that make their returns um, at least over 10 years actually such a huge difference uh, compared to like those who's generating like 20 over percent 30 over percent uh, well you know that's a good question um i think um what, what generates returns um you know good ideas better ideas um using more leverage can generate better returns luck can generate better returns i think definitely um for a long time, what has generated better returns is trading more stocks. Stocks have been better performers than currencies, commodities, interest rates. Um, don't do shorts, you know, that could have helped. So I think what I consider to be some of the ingredients of successful money management, uh, diversification, um, moderate leverage, shorts, Sometimes uh, some of these things that I think are very good will cause underperformance. Being too diversified, um, and, and uh, certainly nothing could be better over the, over the past uh, 20 or 30 years than uh, highly leveraged stock only, long only, which I don't think is safe or a good way to approach the markets, but it certainly has worked. So uh, doing something wrong at the right time can also help. I see. So... Many of the uh, summit participants are going to be like those independent traders uh, managing their own monies. And so uh, we have been talking about more about fund management and managing large amount of money. So from your perspective, if you were to start all over again with just, let's say, $100,000, how would you manage this money? Would you man manage it differently from what you are doing right now? Or how would you go about um, um, trying to turn this 100000 to 200000 well, knowing what I know now, after 35 years, I would um, try to manage it the same way. If I had limitations, I would uh, still try to use as many of the markets and strategies that I use now. So like I said, I would um, try to find the most diversified portfolio I possibly could, stocks, um, commodities, maybe commodity ETFs, um, include some bonds and include some currencies, as many of those as you can, and maybe it has to be stock only. Maybe it's stocks plus a few commodity ETFs. And then uh, tr make, try to choose stocks in, in uh, markets that are 
have low correlation. And so it's very diverse. <clears throat> so you, when you uh, look at the trends in those markets, you have some shorts and you have some longs. And then come up with a trend following system that's fairly long term that allows me to stay in the trends uh, that are going to last a year or two and don't get knocked out of the trends too quickly. But then when the trends do reverse, I need to figure out a way to not give back too much profit. <clears throat> so philosophically and in general, I'm looking for diversification, longs and shorts, liquidity, and going with the trend, which has been what I've said like uh, a lot on this, uh, on this interview. So it's the same thing. Do the best you can with the money you have and the markets that you have available. I see. So to end off the, today's uh, interview, <clears throat> I believe that there's uh, really a, a big number of uh, aspiring new traders hoping to uh, emulate you and learn something from you. So before we end off the, uh, today's interview, would you have any kinds of words of inspiration uh, for these traders so that they can find that courage and that determination uh, to continue to find a path um, that, that works for them in, in the world of trading? Well, when I was 25 years old, in, uh, many years ago, I heard about trend following and I read about it. I read about um, diversification and currencies and commodities and leverage and futures. And I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I thought, I didn't know very much about trading, but I thought trend following and just an objective approach to the markets that use price and adding in more markets and shorts was great. Diversification must be great. And so I just had an open mind and I was uh, not discounting things that I'd never heard of before. Or maybe it didn't suit my personality. I didn't think I had any reason to believe I would end up meeting Richard Dennis and getting that job. It's totally amazing situation. I don't know what I would have done with my little bit of knowledge and how it would have increased it. But I just think that open, being open-minded and exploring and not ruling things out and then don't be worried when no one agrees with you. Um, it's, a, it's a natural state of things. Don't desire people to like your positions, like your trading, like your strategy. Don't desire to be a part of a big group of people who all think the stock market is the way to be or the stocks are going up and strike out on your own, create your own methodology, learn from others, read books and magazines and watch interviews and podcasts and take it all in and create your own way of looking at things, your own trading worldview. And don't, um, don't worry if you, it seems like you're in the minority or you're alone in the way you think. You're probably onto something very good if there's not many people um, agreeing with you. That's true. That's true. I think that's really a, a great um, a philosophy of looking at things uh, from a more contrarian point of view. So thank you so much again, um, um, Jerry, for sharing your thoughts uh, with the summit participants. And I'm very sure it's going to be really helpful for them to go back and think about what you said and digest them and potentially put them into actions as well. So I wish you all the best in whatever that you do or you aspire to do in the days and the years ahead. And hopefully you have a chance to uh, chat and interview again. All right. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Trading Conversations. If you'd like to assess past and future episodes of this podcast, please head to traderwave.com slash podcast to learn more. That's it from me for now, my friends. I'm your host, Philip Teo, and I look forward to have you joining us again in the next episode of Trading Conversations.